Hello, I'm Alec and this is Scandal 101. Isn't it so nice that the world is at peace and nothing is falling apart? (laughs) Oh boy, Uh, I saw a news article that I think Ukraine and Russia maybe primarily agreed to like some peace negotiations or something along those lines. (sighs) Just horrible what's going on in Ukraine. Hopefully this whole invasion BS will subside or subdue, whatever the correct term is, will be over soon. But yeah, thanks for tuning in. Uh, This is Scandal 101. Obviously, you're here. In terms of a scandal update, this happened, I think, just on Wednesday of this week. A Republican congressman, uh, his name, uh, House Representative Van Taylor, he was slated to win his reelection, but... Recently, it came out that he was having an affair with someone who was, she was married to someone who joined the Islamic State terrorist group, and this congressman is married with three kids, and he had an affair with her. The tabloids are calling her ISIS bride, which (laughs) kind of tasteless, but yeah, so that's super interesting, and he announced that he is not going to rerun for his seat, so... Lots of sex scandals have happened with Congress, but this one kind of has an indirect tie to a terrorist group, which is kind of interesting. And she had said that Representative Van Taylor had paid her to keep quiet about the affair, which (laughs) is just loving, loving, living and laughing. It's just crazy. Obviously, sex scandals happen in every party, but it's just interesting that someone who is from the GOP that often is the party of Christian family values, he was married, had three kids, decided to have an affair, allegedly paid her to keep quiet, and she was connected to someone who is tied to the Islamic State. Did he know that? Who knows? Maybe since he paid her to keep it quiet, maybe, but yeah, interesting that that is going on. And that's all I'm really going to talk about with scandals, mainly because I have a midterm tomorrow. So (laughs) I am recording this late Thursday night to get it out on Friday, and I'm going to go back to studying. You saw the episode title when you clicked. This is A Murder That Tricked the Nation, The Murder of Jacqueline Smith. Where I got my information from, I got a ton, a ton of my information from WBAL. It is a news station out of the Baltimore area. I use like seven, eight articles from them authored by D. Collins, V. Herring, J. Miller, and then there were a couple that didn't have authors but were by the news station. I also used a CBS local Baltimore article by A. Burnett, and then a Baltimore Sun article by A. Man. And it's like, not just not like by a man, but it's like by A last name man, M-A-N-N. You get it. Okay, (laughs) let's dive in. 
This story starts in Baltimore, Maryland on December 1st of 2018, so only about three, four years ago, not super long ago. Keith Smith, his wife Jacqueline, and their daughter Valeria, they were driving home after a happy night out. They were celebrating Valeria's birthday, and it just happened recently. Valeria is like a young adult, and the two parents are, you know, like, 50s or whatever so they were just out they were having a good time celebrating valeria's birthday just for reference valeria is jacqueline's stepdaughter so valeria is keith's biological daughter uh jacqueline is valeria's stepmother not that that really plays an important role but just so you know who we are talking about going forward so they were driving home after this fun night out and they were stopped at an intersection when the family saw a homeless woman and it seemed like she was holding a baby keith said quote a girl was out here looking or with what looked like a baby in her hand and it was raining my wife felt moved to give her some money end quote and the woman was apparently holding a sign that said please help me feed my baby and of course it's always just kind of like heart-wrenching to see people that are having to ask for money on the side of the road or at intersections, but especially if they have a baby with them or little kids. So Keith, he was a little hesitant because it was later at night. They had just gotten, or they were on their way back from celebrating Valeria's birthday. But Jacqueline was like, yeah, I want to give this, you know, this homeless woman some money to feed her baby. So he was like, okay, so he rolled down the window so his wife could give this homeless person some money. The setup of the car is Keith is in the driver's seat he's driving, Jacqueline is in the passenger seat, and Valeria, their daughter, stepdaughter, is in the back. So the window is rolled down, Jacqueline gives the homeless woman some money, like 10 or $15, and after Jacqueline gives the woman some money, a man comes up and is like, oh, I just want to thank you for giving her the money, and he asks Keith if he could say thank you for giving the money, and Keith was like, okay, sure, and what it seemed like to the family in the car is like, okay, this is this woman's boyfriend, husband, whatever, and is just like, thanks so much for the money. So they're like, yeah, like you can definitely say thank you, no problem. What happens next is not what anyone could expect. Keith said that the man reached through the open window toward Jacqueline, ripped off her necklace, took Jacqueline's wallet from her lap, and then stabbed her multiple times. Then the two homeless people took off running. Let's talk a little bit about Jacqueline, just so we know some more about her. At the time of her killing, at the time of her death, she was 52 years old. She worked with Keith, her husband, at Arberdeen Proving Ground, and she worked there as an electronic engineer. Jacqueline's sister said that Jacqueline was intelligent, she was witty, and that she really, really loved her family. When anyone dies, it's horrible, but especially to die in a horrific way and someone who sounded just like this amazing, funny, family-loving person gets murdered for doing something generous, for giving money to someone who says they're needing it for their child. So the stabbing happens, the two people run away, and of course... Keith calls 911. He's distraught. He rushes her to the hospital, and unfortunately, it's too late. She dies in the hospital. Since this was a horrific murder, of course, police become involved. 
And Keith, he starts talking to the police. He tells people, or he tells the police what happened about the two homeless people, the stabbing, and all of this, it happened in the 1000 block of Valley Street around 1230 a.m. in the morning. And just as a reminder, even though it was later in the night when this happened, or I guess early morning technically, they were out celebrating their daughter's birthday. They were all adults. They can have a good time. And unfortunately, Jacqueline just was the victim of this random horrific crime. During his interview with police, of course, Keith was upset. He was beside himself. He was crying. When reporters got wind of what was happening, of course, they're going to go interview him. When they talked to him and Valeria, they were, of course, upset. They just lost their wife, their stepmother. They were shedding tears and they wanted to... Uh, have Baltimore pass statutes, laws, whatever, to outlaw panhandling. This horrific crime that happened to Jacqueline, it didn't only gain uh, notoriety around the Baltimore area, it gained national attention. It made people hesitant to give out money to panhandlers, and it reached the ears of probably one of the most generous celebrities out there, Oprah Winfrey. She tweeted about this horrific event that, quote, this story struck my heart. I've done this a thousand times, but I will think twice before ever doing it again. End quote. The national attention that it gets, it leads to this huge debate. Some people on one side are saying that they're never going to give money to panhandlers again, that panhandlers and homeless people cause violence. But on the other side, people are saying these people that are asking for money, they're a vulnerable population, they need our help, and not giving money to them is not going to be the solution to this homeless problem, to this panhandling problem that we're seeing. So it sparked this huge national debate on not only what I guess is considered a safe way to handle or to hand out money to panhandlers, but even if people should be handing out money to panhandlers because when we look at the case of Jacqueline, she was horribly murdered for giving money to someone who said they needed it for her baby. As we talked about, Keith, he was beside himself, he was upset, and after anyone dies, there's going to be a grieving period, especially when someone dies in this horrific way and you witness it. I just, ugh, that had to be so horrible. And so after Jacqueline passed away, it was a little weird because it didn't seem like there was much of a grieving period for Keith. His neighbors didn't see him much, but also you, he could have just gone to some family member's house, wanted to get away for a little bit, totally understandable. But weird things started happening. About two months after Jacqueline's death, Keith went to his home with a large moving truck in the middle of the night, and then after that day, the neighbors didn't see him again. Neighbors started talking, they thought maybe he had moved to Florida, but just kind of weird that he up and left in the middle of the night after no one seeing him for a while, but who knows, people process grief in different ways, so they were just kind of like, okay, whatever. But despite this weird behavior after this horrific death, the neighbors of the Smiths, they said that the Smiths were always nice neighbors, there were never any incidents at the residence, there was really nothing unusual that happened ever in their neighborhood or with the Smiths. They were just like, yep, they were good neighbors. Nothing ever happened there. It's horrible that this happened to Jacqueline. Presumably the neighbors just kind of go back to what they're doing. And suddenly something shocking comes out in the news. Keith 
and Valeria Smith, and that's again Jacqueline's husband and stepdaughter, have been arrested in Texas not far from the Mexican border. They were charged with nine counts, and one of those counts, first-degree murder. Because they were arrested in Texas, they had to go through the whole process of extradition, so they went back to Baltimore eventually, and the Cameron County, Texas District Attorney said about this, quote, The high-profile case is generating national interest because the Smiths are accused of fabricating an elaborate story in which the victim, who is the wife-slash-mother of the defendants, was killed by a panhandler. Maryland authorities now have reason to believe that they are the main suspects in the murder. End quote. Yes, you heard that correctly. The arrest warrants out for Keith and Valeria, they listed murder, conspiracy, assault, and weapon charges for the killing of Jacqueline Smith. Valeria was listed as an accessory after the fact. In the police investigations, after they had interviewed with Keith, of course, they're going to look into this because at this point, a random panhandler or homeless person killed this innocent woman who's trying to help and in theory is out on the streets and could kill again. So police, they keep investigating and they start talking to residents in the area of where this killing supposedly happened. And again, that was that 1000 block in Valley Hill, I believe. Oh, I'm sorry, in the 1000 block of Valley Street. So the police go there, they start talking to residents, and residents are like, yeah, it's super weird that this happened here because we've never seen any panhandlers in the area. It just doesn't make sense that, one, we don't see panhandlers here, but also that after not seeing any panhandlers here, that all of a sudden there are panhandlers and the panhandler kills someone. It also just doesn't really make a lot of sense because also the road that this apparently happened on... It was like a not very well-traveled road, like it just wasn't super busy. So even if there was a panhandler, whoa, even if there was a panhandler there, it wouldn't make sense for them to be there in the middle of the night because it's not that busy of a street. So presumably they're not going to get that much money. If it was on a busier road, maybe, it, okay, sure, it makes sense. But you have residents saying, no, we've never seen panhandlers here. And two, police are like, the street isn't busy. Why would anyone panhandle here, regardless of the fact that there haven't been panhandlers here? So that's weird. Police keep looking into it, and they look into Keith's background, and they see that Keith has robbed one bank three separate times. And he said that he did this because he needed the money. When he would do this, he would apparently force tellers at gunpoint to get on the floor and to give them the money. Police suspicions, they kept growing, and they're like, hmm, you know, thinking back on it, there were some weird things that happened in the interview with Keith when we talked to him. At one point during the interview, Keith said that he didn't see the murder weapon, but he later said that the weapon was a kitchen knife which is oddly specific if you're saying you didn't see the weapon, which obviously if you're stabbed, it's most likely a knife. But now you're saying you didn't see the weapon, but now you're sure it was a kitchen knife. He also said that the person's coat who was handed the money was blue, but other times he said it was brown. Those colors are not very similar, but maybe, I mean, it was dark. Maybe he, it was hard to tell, but really what the most damning evidence was for Keith was this. There was blood on the inside of the passenger window. Stopping to think now, just common sense wise, if the window is rolled down, 
Jacqueline was stabbed from the outside. Obviously, there's going to be blood splatter, but if the window's down, in theory, there should be no blood on the inside of the window or maybe like a couple of drops if the window was almost all the way rolled down. But police, they were looking at this car and they're like, there's blood all over the inside of this window. How could that be possible if Jacqueline was stabbed through the open window and the window was rolled down? So there's no way that (laughs) that blood could be on that glass. Other evidence that police found when investigating is there were surveillance cameras in the area of where Keith said this happened. There was no footage of the Smith's car in the area at all. Further, their cell phones were tracked to a completely different area. When investigators were like, hey Keith, so we found this interesting information that your cell phones were in a different area around the time that you're saying you were at this place. And Keith is like, Oh my gosh, that is so funny. I forgot to tell you, we made this stop at this park. And then we drove to the area and then Jacqueline was stabbed. And so police were like, yeah, no, sure, Keith, we totally believe you. Why don't you scoot on your merry way? And we're not even going to look into it anymore. Like, don't even worry about it. After this uh, interaction, after police were like, hey, Keith, what's going on with this cell phone data? He was like, I'm not sure. And then he moved to Florida and he changed his cell phone. He also sent Valeria a new cell phone through the mail. Police, after doing this whole investigation, they say about Keith's claim that, quote, we now know that wasn't true. The information and the evidence points to it was not a panhandler. People took advantage of Baltimore, end quote. Upon the arrest of Keith and Valeria, the mayor of Baltimore said in a release statement in part that, quote, Like everyone in our city, state, and across this nation, we mourned the senseless killing of Jacqueline Smith. To now learn that family members staged this brutal killing is beyond belief and represents a double tragedy. They were responsible for taking Jacqueline's life with unconscionable cruelty and contrived to do so in our city under the guise of random violence, exploiting the legitimate fears of our residents. I commend our homicide detectives for their expert and tireless work in bringing those truly responsible to justice in this very troubling and sad case, end quote. Baltimore City State Attorney said, quote, I'm disappointed that the two alleged suspects attempted to take advantage of negative perceptions of our city. I'm grateful for the collaborative efforts of my prosecutors and the Baltimore Police Department in getting to the bottom of a contrived and disturbing tragedy. We look forward to fighting for justice on behalf of Jacqueline Smith and her family in a court of law. End quote. At this point, people are shocked because this killing was horrific and shocking to begin with, someone being generous and nice, giving money to a panhandler to then be stabbed and killed, and now it comes out that that whole story was a lie and that the husband and the stepdaughter killed the mom? Why? Unfortunately, it was something that seemed that just seems to be a common factor in so many murders. Keith was listed as the beneficiary of a life insurance policy for Jacqueline. The policy was worth at least half a million dollars. Before Jacqueline was killed, Keith at one point went to his brother and said that Jacqueline was talking about divorce. And of course, 
when the divorce would happen, Jacqueline would have likely changed her beneficiary to take Keith off. Not that this justifies Keith's killing but in any way, but Keith is like, I need to make sure she dies before this divorce happens. Of course, this goes to trial because, duh. At trial, Valeria testifies that it was Keith who stabbed Jacqueline. So Valeria is like, I had nothing to do with this killing. This was all Keith's stuff, but... Valeria was in the car. She was in the backseat of the car when this happened. And the stabbing did take place at the location that police tracked Keith's phone to, the one that Keith didn't tell him about. So the police were like, hey, Keith, what about this location? He's like, yeah, I don't know about it. And then later on, police are like, oh my gosh, that's so funny because now Valeria is saying that you killed your wife at this location. Valeria said, quote, he stabbed her. I saw blood on his hands. He went into the woods with the knife in his hands. When he came back out, he didn't have the knife, end quote. And then she said that when he came back from the woods, he came back with the story of like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell people that a panhandler killed her. And so he was like coming back and he's like, Valeria, don't you worry. I've got this great story. It's going to work out super great for all of us. Just come on in along. Keith then apparently put a towel over Jacqueline's head to, I'm sure, hide a horrific scene. And then they drove to East Baltimore, which is where they called 911. And that was the area where originally they said that the stabbing had happened. Valeria said that Keith was calm before calling 911. And then like during and when calling 911, he was pretending to cry, which to me, that is the, I didn't, I'm not going to like basically just armchair diagnosed, but like that sounds like psychopath. Like he knew that he was supposed to sound upset, but he clearly wasn't. So can you imagine witnessing someone do something horrific, like killing someone and then they're calm and then they're like, okay, I'm going to call 911. And then because they're calling 911, because their wife was, you know, supposedly stabbed by someone random now they're gonna act upset because they know they have to act upset obviously the daughter was going along with this but that would just be so terrifying to see someone just be able to like snap those emotions and change them well i guess not even change them but just like act like they're changing them because they know what people are expecting and they know how they should sound even though they never do a good job with it (sighs) just creepy to think about. So he's calm and then he calls 911. He's upset, quote unquote. He's pretending to be upset. And then you know the rest. They go to the hospital. She dies. Valeria testified that Keith told her to get rid of Jacqueline's wallet and specifically to put it down a storm drain. So Valeria did. I would also just like to remind you that even though Valeria is... Uh, Keith's daughter Valeria is a full-grown adult it's not like Valeria was five or six and she witnessed this horrible thing and her dad was like controlling her Valeria was a full-fledged adult she had her own free will and she went along with this so I just want to put that out there because when I was reading this, I was kind of like, man, I wonder what Valeria went through. And I was like, oh, wait, she was an adult. She chose to do this. And I mean, obviously, adults can have trauma. They can be manipulated. But in this case, she went along with this plan 
and helped cover up her stepmother's murder for insurance money. She also testified that she was uh, high on drugs during and after the killing when they were trying to flee to Mexico, but Keith's lawyers were like, no, she'll just say anything to blame it on her father. And part of the reason why Keith's lawyers were saying that is because Valeria took a plea deal, which in part required her to testify in the case. She had pleaded guilty to help her father cover up the crime, and she faced up to 10 years in prison for pleading guilty to that. One thing I thought was interesting about this case is the jury heard instructions saying that she had testified as part of the plea deal, which I don't really know if that's common or not, but one of the lawyers said about Valeria, quote, she has shown she is untrustworthy. She is trying to escape a life sentence in this case, end quote. When Keith was up on the stand, they focused a lot on the fact that he tried to flee the country. Not only did he try to flee to Mexico, but he also was trying to go to Cuba and Canada. The police, after they had some suspicions, they wiretapped his phone to gather evidence, and <laughs> they got him trying to buy tickets to Cuba and Canada, but he couldn't get it done because he didn't have a passport, which it's like, you know, most criminals are really, really dumb, but how could you not know that you need a passport to go to a different country? Especially if your plan is to flee the country like, if you have this plan to kill your wife, to hide out into, like, trying to escape, and you have this elaborate plan that you're going to blame it on a panhandler, which a lot of people believed for a while, you couldn't bother to look up, how do I get into another country? <laughs> like, not trying to encourage criminal activity, but just so dumb. How do you whatever. Obviously, I'm glad he wasn't able to do it. I'm glad that he was stuck in the country, but it's just like, it's ridiculous that someone so, someone, it's ridiculous that someone thought of this elaborate plan and a lot of people believed it for a while, but he couldn't think about how he was going to escape. It's just dumb. They also played at trial a video of a police interrogation where Keith was asked questions. The detectives were pointing out that they had a bunch of evidence against him, such as that, hey, we have these cell phone records that place you at this park that you didn't say you were at. And his response to that was like, well, I didn't hurt my wife. And then they told him, quote, we have a mountain of evidence that you are absolutely the reason your wife is dead, end quote. And to that, he just shook his head. Obviously, none of this is direct evidence. There's no video of him killing, but all of this evidence, plus the fact that he tried to escape the country multiple ways, doesn't look good for him. After the trial was done, the jury deliberated for about a day, and they found Keith guilty of first-degree murder and a weapons charge. They found him guilty on December 10th, 2021. And this case is super recent because I started researching this case on Sunday just to like kind of get some background for it. And I, so I started researching this on Sunday, February 27th. And I was like, oh, I wonder what the ending to this case is. And he was sentenced this past Monday, Monday, February 28th, 2022. Keith Smith was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of his wife, plus three years for a deadly weapon with intent to injure charge. And then Valeria, like I said earlier, she is 
she took the plea deal, so she was not convicted of murder, but she was convicted of helping, like, it being an accessory after the fact, and she, I believe, is serving up to 10 years in prison. From everything that was offered at trial, it didn't sound like she took a role in the killing. She only took a role in hiding it, which obviously is still not great. At least she didn't stab her stepmom, like, <laughs> trying to find the silver lining in there, but... What she did is horrible. It's, you know, I, it makes sense why she's only getting 10 years, but it's just, why go along with it? I don't know. Okay. After the sentence was announced, Jacqueline's sister, she said that she was grateful for the sentence, especially because there was so much evidence against Keith. Jacqueline's sister said, quote, the sentence didn't bring her back, but we were elated to feel that definitely justice was served. And as I said on the record, the judge was very poignant and to the point. You could tell that she really re reviewed this case thoroughly and made a decision that made us very happy, end quote. Baltimore State's attorney Marilyn Mosby said that Keith Smith deserved to spend, quote, the rest of his natural life in prison for his heinous and reprehensible actions, end quote. Marilyn also said, quote, Keith Smith will now justly serve a life sentence in prison for violently stabbing his wife to death and then creating an elaborate cover-up plan to cowardly blame panhandlers for this horrific attack. Today, the public can rest assured that justice was served in a case that manipulated the hearts and minds of our country, end quote. And with that, that concludes A Murder That Tricked the Nation, The Murder of Jacqueline Smith. This episode was super interesting to research because it mixes my two favorite topics to look at, true crime and scandals, because it started this nationwide debate about panhandling, there was advocacy for panhandling to be outlawed, and it turns out it was all an elaborate lie, and obviously through good police work and good investigation, it the story was sussed out pretty quickly, but it started this whole unnecessary nationwide debate because, you know, I don't want to compliment Keith Smith, but he came up with a story. He blamed people that are vulnerable and that are easy to target for this horrific crime. And because it was so easy to target panhandlers, a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon because... As one of the quotes said earlier, a lot of panhandlers, a lot of homeless people, they're a vulnerable population, and as unfortunate as it is, it's also a reality to accept that a lot of people put the blame on homeless people and panhandlers, even though it may not be their fault for their situation. So when Keith Smith came up with this story, it, in my mind, was kind of genius because, of course, people are going to want to believe the grieving wit or the grieving husband, the grieving stepdaughter, that these two horrific panhandlers killed this really nice woman when trying to help these panhandlers. But yeah, it's just super interesting that this story got the attention of the nation. It got a lot of people debating over different things and the fact that it was all a lie and it was just one man's story to cover up his horrific murder. But at the end of the day, obviously justice was served. Keith Smith is in jail for life. Valeria is in jail for, I believe, up to 10 years for being an accessory after the fact. And finally, Jacqueline Smith has some form of justice 
in the fact that her actual killers are now serving time for what they did. And with that, I am going to do a personal scandal. I got an interesting email from someone who experienced um, kind of the culture of the Germany New Year's Eve's attacks firsthand. And I was debating on reading that, but I think I'm going to read it in the scandal update episode that I do, probably coming out later this month in March at some point. So to the person who sent that in, if you're listening, I saw your email and I appreciate it and I am going to read it, but I think it will fit better in a scandal update episode. So thank you for sending it in. I did see it and I am going to read it. But for now, I'm going to read a scandal about something that happened in a school district that someone sent in. So they said that a teacher ended up having sex or something with a high school student and instead of firing him, the district just placed him in the middle school. This is the same teacher who said that he heard a quote, nasty rumor, end quote, about my old older sister one day and started insinuating different things, clearly wanting her to flirt back with him or something. My mom found out that they just ended up moving him to a different school and she was pissed, but my sister was already in a different school district by that point and I don't think it had happened recently enough to the point where it could have been brought up anymore. I don't remember the exact situation, but yeah. Yes, that's a great solution. Let's just move the person who is openly flirting with students to a different school. Great job, school district. Ugh, it's just, like in the uh, the whole Catholic Church priest sex scandal and like abusing boys in the movie Spotlight, which is super good. That's essentially what they did. They knew that these Catholic priests or people in the Catholic Church were abusing boys and they were like, yeah, we'll take him out. And then they just transferred him to a different church. If someone is a predator, take them out of whatever they are in. Don't just transfer them around being like, oh, they'll change because likely not. And on that positive note, (laughs) that concludes this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it, even though it was obviously a bummer because it was about someone getting murdered, but it is interesting to listen to, to hear about how for a while, this guy got away with murder. If you would like to stay up with the latest, please follow on social media. I'll post pictures related to this episode. You can follow on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast, on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook, search Scandal101Podcast. You'll find us there. The website is Scandal101Podcast.podbean.com. You'll find the show notes there. Also linked in the episode description, you can find them. And then if you have your own personal scandal that you want sent in, uh, or if, what? <laughs> if you have your own personal scandal you want to send in to have it read on the podcast, please send it to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. And these can be anything. It can be your hometown scandal, something that happened in your school district, at your college, at work, it, literally anything. Could be a family scandal, a family secret, just super interesting things because not a lot of people talk about different scandalous things. And I think they should more because it's interesting and they happen all the time. People just need to talk about it. Alrighty, on that note, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been episode 42 of Scandal 101.